Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, great is thy faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for even giving us the gift of faithfulness so that we can turn back to you because you are always there with your arms wide open and you walk each and every moment with us. We thank you for being with those this week that have gone through surgery. We thank you for your faithfulness of being with them and touching them with your healing hand. Father, we pray for those who have been diagnosed with cancer, those who are going through chemotherapy, some treatments that just seem so horrible to us. Lord, but with your thankfulness or your faithfulness, we know you are there with each one. Lord, we think of those who have COVID-19 and have had it. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness of bringing those through it and healing them. And Lord, we thank you for your presence when you called those home. Father, we ask that you wrap your arms around us as we bear the pain of, of losing loved ones. As we lean on you, your everlasting arms. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for all people everywhere to turn to your son, Jesus, the Christ. May we all get on our knees and repent. And we may, may we find favor in your eyes to lead this country and to lead the lives of all those who turn to you in our homes and in our workplace, wherever we are. Father, we pray for this local church that we call Dunfee Missionary Church. Each person that makes up this church that you've gifted in your special way to make us an organism that can live and breathe and get the lifeblood from Jesus Christ himself. Thank you for calling us to such a place as this for such a time as this. And Lord, as we open up your word to learn more about what you've called your church to be, may you speak to us in your special way as we read your word, as we expound upon your word, and as we consider what it would mean to actually walk with you moment by moment. Thank you for always being there for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our sermon series, This is Living, comes from the book of Philippians. You may want to turn there. We're still in the first chapter. 
We just introduced it last week. Remember, it, it was a church that was started in a city of Macedonia. The city was called Philippi. The people in Philippi were made up of mostly Greeks, some Jews. We learned this last week on Wednesday in the Bible study that these were called Diaspora Jews, Jews that chose to leave Israel to go to a place where they could support their families better and perhaps have a more financially better life. These Jews and the Greek community together, they all did business together, they lived together, and they even studied together. All these people in that area of Philippi we call Philippians. So the church that was started by Paul and Silas, accompanied by Timothy and Luke in about A.D. 50, was started at that time by a small group of people that began to share God's Word and the church began to grow. Until about 10 or 12 years later, um, during that time, even through those 10 years, they were sending some support to Paul in his ministry as he would go out and share the gospel of Christ. And then when they found out that Paul was in chains as a prisoner in Rome, they were so concerned about him, they sent a great gift to support him, and they also sent a person from their church to help support him, Epaphroditus. We'll talk more about him later in the series. So, Paul was writing back to the church to thank them for this great gift and to encourage them as a local church and to encourage us today as a local church on what God has called us to be. So I'd like to read with, with you now in chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Now there's one key verse that we're going to spend our time on today, and that is Philippians 1.21. So putting it in context, we'll read 12 through the end of chapter 1 to put it all in context. So this is Paul writing to the Philippians and writing really to us today too. Now I want you to know brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, he's been taken as a prisoner. He's been put in chains, and he's saying, that was done to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the whole palace, and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ, hmm, the anointed one. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Yes, when one of our own is persecuted, we seem to have that extra drive to get out there and share the word like he was doing. It is true that some preach, preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. 
but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And the former, well, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I, I am in chains. But, Paul says, what does it matter? What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He says, praise God. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Verse 19, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, he, he knew that he was probably going to be put to death. And he said, I just pray that I have the courage to stand up strong for Christ through all this. And then our key verse. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two, you know. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. To be with Christ, face to face with Christ when he departs. Now, I want to just share a little bit about this Greek word that they use for depart. It means so much deeper, uh, has a deeper meaning than what we have in our English language. It really speaks of a boat that is tied to a dock. And it's been there tied to a dock for a long time. But then the anchor is pulled up and the rope is untied so that the boat can leave harbor for a harbor far, far away. All of that in this one word. I desire to depart, to go to a place far, far away to be face to face with Christ. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. We must remember that our lives are not just for us. Our lives are for everyone that we're connected with. That's what Paul is saying. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. But whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what he's telling us to do right now, today, church. 
Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Unity in the church. We are that one man he's talking about. The church. For the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. The church is a sign to them. But that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. When we believe, we believe in him, but also we believe that we will suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ. What a great slogan, isn't it? What a great slogan to put on your coffee cup. Maybe on a bumper sticker, on bookmarks. Not bad. Not a bad slogan at all. But you know, there's many good verses in the book of Philippians. Let me just share some with you. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Verses, chapter 1, verse 21. How about chapter 1, verse 27 that we just read? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's a good one to live by. Chapter 2, verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. How about chapter 4, verse 4? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Chapter 4, verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. Chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To live is Christ. A great life motto. One that many say, I'm going to make that my life verse. But we need to understand the context of it, and that's what I want to spend some time with you now talking about the apostle paul is in prison in rome he he literally has chains around his ankles probably and he's facing trial and he knows that the outcome of the trial is probably to be executed for his faith in jesus christ he's hemmed in between a rock and a hard place he writes this letter to the church in Philippi and tells them, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This man is facing execution. We've got to wrap our heads around what he is saying. Now, as I was preparing for this message, and I feel moved by the Spirit today, 
to say something that is not really what this verse is meant for, but I'm afraid people might take it out of context when they are feeling like they are between the rock and the hard place. And the only thing that they think they can get relief from is to die is gain. When they feel like no one else really cares about what's going on in their life, they're all alone. They're considering suicide because they just don't value living. Don't let this happen. If you know of someone, don't let it happen. Talk to them. Listen to them. Let them know that someone loves them. And like Paul said, we are connected to so many people in our lives. It's not all about us. To living sometimes is Christ, and maybe they need to know that. We all suffer in this life. But God is sovereign. God gave us our lives, and God takes our lives back to Him when it's His timing. This scripture is not about that, but I just feel like the state of the community and the country and the pandemic, there are so many people that are choosing to take control of their own life and end it. It's not to be that way. Jesus loves them more than that. So let's get back to verse 21. Chapter 1, verse 21. And let's begin with the first part. For to me. It's to draw our attention to the fact that it's very personal for Paul. For to me. For to me to live is Christ. Paul is saying, for to me, in the depths of my soul, in the very core of my being, to live is Christ. Regardless of what my friends are doing, regardless of what's going on around me, for to me, for to me, I choose. Regardless of what the world says, for to me, this is what is real. This is what is authentic. This is what is genuine in my soul, in my life, is to live. And when he says to live, he is talking about the very reason and the purpose for his life. He wants us to know what is supreme in his life. For me to live without this, my life would be meaningless and pointless. It, it would be empty. He's not talking about just going around or uh, through the empty motions of life. He's not talking about being a mechanical robot for working for the man or part of a man-made organization or just cranking out a day-to-day -day existence. God's Word here means for to me to be fully alive is to be in relationship with our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. For to me... To live. 
Now notice how he ends, ends this thought. For to me to live is Christ. Literally, in the original language that he wrote this in, in Greek, he left out that verb, is. If you want to know the original language and the way that God really meant for him to write, you could cross out the word is in your Bible. You see, the English translators added the word is just to smooth it out for our reading pleasure. Personally, sometimes I'm glad that the translators did that. It just helps us to understand. But other times, I feel like it's really taking away from the true message that God has for us when we start to add different words to God's Word. A literal translation of what God penned that was later numbered Philippians 1.21 is for to me to live Christ. And he leaves the verb out. He purposely omits it for a dramatic effect, an emphatic effect for to me to live Christ. Now remember what I said earlier, Christ. The Greek meaning here is anointed one. For me to live anointed one. The Hebrew word was Messiah, but he chose to write this in Greek and use the Greek word Christ. Messiah meaning the one who is anointed. Paul knew what he was doing when he used the Greek word Christos. Christ. For me to live the anointed one. This verse is saying my whole life is Christ. The anointed one, the, the sum and the substance of my life is the anointed one of God. There is nothing in my life that is outside of living for Christ. Everything in my life is under the lordship of Christ, the anointed one. Christ is the very essence of my being. That is what Paul is saying. The, the deepest reality of his soul is the anointed one. If you could open up his heart and open it up and just look in, you would see Jesus, the one who saves. You would see Christ, the anointed one, living within Paul. And Paul does not live for anything else. We are each called by God in the same way. We are not to live for anyone else, but for Christ and Christ alone. Christ, the anointed one, is the goal of our life, the motivation for our action, the driving force, the heartbeat of life, the source of of strength. Paul is saying, everything I live for is Christ. Everything I am is Christ, the anointed one. There should be no doubt when Paul says Christ, he is speaking of the Son of God, the uncreated Son of God, the eternal God, 
co-equal, co-eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Ghost. The Son of God, the Son of Man, Master, Lord, Messiah, fully God, fully man, enthroned at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. The one to whom the Father has entrusted all authority in heaven, Jesus. This is for whom I am living. We're going to look closer at this nature of Christ next week as we get into Philippians chapter 2. Feel free to read ahead. This is living. Now there are similar passages to this Philippians 1.21. You could, you could look at Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 and it says this, Christ is our life. Galatians 2.20 says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Christ, the anointed one, lives in every person who has put their faith and trust in him. This is what makes us an organism, not an organization. We are called the church. We are an organism that was created by the creator of all the universe. The body of Christ living in this dark, depraved world. There was a time in Paul's life when he did not live for Christ. Just like you in your life and me in my life. When we did not live for Christ. At that time, before his conversion, he was called Saul, and he lived for himself. He lived for his own dead religion. He was religious. In fact, Paul was religious up to his eyeballs. He was more religious than anyone else around, trying his hardest to be the best Jew that he could be. At that time, Paul lived against Christ. He lived without Christ. He lived, but it was independent of Christ, the anointed one. Paul lived for Paul, and in reality, he was dead inside. But then there came a time on the Damascus Road for your reading pleasure, you're going to want to look at Acts chapter 9. Briefly, what happened was Jesus, the one who was hung on the cross, hung there for three hours with all of our sins poured out upon him and judged until he paid the penalty of our sins, which was death. He died. He was put in the grave. But up from the grave, he arose three days later. He defeated death. And in his resurrection body, he talked to people. He walked with people. Until in his resurrection body, he ascended into heaven to sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. In Acts chapter 9, it is this Jesus that reaches down from heaven 
to Saul, who's riding on his donkey, and he slaps him off of his donkey. And he tells him who he is. He says, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? Read it. It's a good read. And finally, he received eternal life. He understood who Jesus was. And he did not receive eternal life by all his works. It was by faith alone, in Christ alone, by the grace of God that he was saved. Now let's get some takeaways that you may want to ponder and consider about this verse as you go throughout your week. Some people might call this the seven P's of living an anointed life. The first P that I want you to consider is purpose. To live is Christ means the purpose of life is Christ. Paul had no side issues, no other purposes, no competing loyalties, no other agenda. The entire purpose for life, the entire reason for existence on this earth, the entire reason for which Paul lived, preached, traveled, and even to the point of persecution and imprisonment was reduced to this one word, Christ, the Anointed One. Christ, the Anointed One, was the driving, overriding, overarching, master purpose of his life. Everything in life must come into alignment with Christ. Christ should determine how we spend our time. Christ should de determine how we spend our money. Christ should determine how we invest our lives. Everything must be in sync with a purpose to live for Christ. My life must count for Christ. This very small thought, this anointed one, the purpose that we should follow, became two great big books, didn't they? The Purpose Driven Life and the Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren, who is a pastor at Saddleback Church in California. Christ must count for our life. Second, the second P would be priority. To live is Christ means that the priority of life is Christ. Jesus Christ must be Lord of our lives. He must be number one. We must give him all that we are and all that we have. Jesus has the right to call the shots in our lives. That's giving him the priority. We live where he directs us to live. We do what he directs us to do. We are to do whatever Christ commands because he is our priority. This is why Pamela and I are here for such a time as this. 
at Dunphy Missionary Church in this season. This is the priority that Christ has called us to. Nothing supersedes Christ in Paul's life. Everything in his life as well as in ours must yield Christ, the anointed one. Christ will be the priority in our families. Our marriages will exemplify the sanctity of Christ when we make him the priority. Christ will have priority in our professions, in our careers, in our missions, in our ministry, our intellect, in school, and in life. Priority in our time, in our love, in our conversations. Priority in our pleasures, in our eating, our play, in our athletics. Christ must have priority in everything in every believer's life. Third, to live is Christ means that the passion, the passion of life is Christ. Nothing thrilled Paul's heart more than Jesus, the anointed one of God. We should have a passion in our lives that beholds the glory of Christ, the beauty of Christ in our life. We should have that passion. Our passion should lead us to an enthusiastic, wholehearted way of living for Christ. Our passion should fire us up for Christ, be excited for Christ, the Anointed One. Our passion for Jesus leads us to realize we cannot love anything or anyone more than Christ. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. The words of Jesus himself. He said, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Our passion leads us to love Christ more than anyone or anything in this world. Passion. The fourth P would be pattern. To live is Christ. It was so important to Paul. He wrote about it in the first 18 verses of chapter 2. Again, this is a preview to next week. Everything in Paul's life was meant to be an imitation of Christ. An emulation of Christ, with Christ being the perfect pattern to follow. The goal of our Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Christ. With Christ as our pattern, we must think like Christ. We must talk like Christ. We must walk like Christ. Submit to our Heavenly Father like Christ. Act like Christ. React like Christ. Everything in life should be patterned after Christ. Remember years ago, the big Christian fad was WWJD. 
There were bracelets that people would wear that said WWJD. There were bumper stickers, WWJD. There were slogans on the coffee cup, WWJD. It really stood for, can I follow the pattern of Christ? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? It should be our continuous thought and action to pattern Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Peter writes this, Christ has left an example for you to follow. If you are following anyone or anything else, you are following the wrong thing. We must follow Christ, the anointed one. The most repeated statement in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus said was just two words, follow me. Follow me. In 1 John 2, verse 6, the Apostle John writes, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. You can tell who's following Jesus because they are the ones who are walking according to the pattern of Christ, the anointed one. Fifth, the fifth P, to live as Christ means that the partnership of life is Christ. Paul lived in a close fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because Christ lived within him. Jesus lives by his spirit. He partners with us in our lives. He lives within us. Realizing this partnership of life within our life makes our soul long to know Christ more and more each day. In Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, we'll get at later, but Paul, Paul later describes it like this. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, not merely knowing about Christ Jesus as intellectually as a historic figure, this scripture means to have an intimate relationship with Christ. Now that is a partnership, isn't it? By the way, you can only have a personal relationship with someone who's alive. And Christ rose from the dead. Amen? <laughs> we know, now know Christ. We can have this close communion, this partnership with Christ Jesus. We can have tight fellowship with Jesus. We can know him intimately and experientially by personal involvement, by relationship, by a partnership with Christ. The sixth P of this anointed life. To live is Christ means that the power of life is Christ. The power, as Paul patterns his life after Christ, he knows that he can follow Christ only in the strength that Christ provides him. 
That is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He strengthens me with the resurrection power that he has. Of course, there is a qualifier to this. All things that are within the will of God, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We have his power. All things that God desires us to do, we have his power. All things that are involved in following Christ, we have his resurrection power. For us to live for Christ, it is to know Christ, to follow Christ, and to do so in the resurrection power that Christ provides. And the seventh P, to live as Christ, means that the persecution of life is Christ. Now let me explain this a little bit. Paul so lived for Christ that he stood up for Christ. He spoke out for Christ and he willingly suffered for Christ if need be. Paul understood what Jesus meant when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 again, verse 38, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The cross symbolizes total commitment even unto death. Paul was willing to pay whatever price was necessary in order to be identified as a follower of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul identifies himself as a prisoner of Christ. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul was in Roman imprisonment. He doesn't say, I am a prisoner of Rome. He does not say, I am a prisoner of Caesar. He says, I am a prisoner of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is his providence. He was a prisoner by divine appointment. It is the Lord and his will, and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ that led him into a prison cell. Therefore, Paul says, I am a prisoner of the Lord. If we fully live as Christ, the anointed one, it involves a fellowship of his suffering and his persecutions in life. To live Christ. Christ himself is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega of our life and everything in between. Christ must not merely be our life on Sunday, but our life on Monday, our life on Tuesday, and Wednesday, and Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and again on Sunday. As a believer in Jesus, we really have no other life but to live for Christ. It's an anointed life. And this is a good thing. It just doesn't get any better than this, folks. 
Everything in life must be brought under the lordship of Christ. Everything in life must be brought into alignment with the chief cornerstone, Christ. Listen, church, this is how we are to live our lives. Christ, the anointed one, is everything. Or we do not live at all. Have you been convicted to Christ? Do you realize that when you were born into this world, you were born lost and separated from Christ? You were born on a broad road to destruction. There must come a time like there was in Saul's life. There must come a place like there was in Saul's life. There must come a moment that we encounter the living, the resurrected Christ by the power of His Spirit and by the power of His Word where we turn away from our own dead religion in our own efforts to find an acceptance with God. And when we turn to Christ and trust in Him alone. Let's bow our heads in prayer. If you are here this morning without Jesus, the one who saves, without Christ, the anointed one, you are without hope, without eternal life. This morning you can change that trajectory. Turn away from your own efforts to try to save yourself. You can simply tell God silently in your heart right now where you sit that you repent of your sins and you accept the work of Jesus on the cross for your sins. The moment you do this, your soul will be filled to overflowing with rapturous joy to come into the glory of Christ being presented in power and in truth. If you are a believer today in Jesus Christ, surely in the depths of your soul this very moment, there is a swelling adoration that you have for Christ, that your glory that you glory in his name and his gospel and his truth being proclaimed. We all need a Savior. And the Savior will save only those who put full confidence and full trust in him. What a glorious life we have to be living for Christ with purpose, priority, passion, pattern, partnership, power, and even persecution. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.